We're talking about the heart of worship, and I want to get right into the Word now. Can we do that? Because what we've got is, is even something more to be celebrating than some of the things that we sometimes do in our culture. And we're talking about the meaning of worship last week. We're going to talk a little bit about the content of worship. Can I read this incredible psalm? I mean, this is most powerful. Here's the thing, is that I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but this was originally written in Hebrew. And uh, I understand if you could read it in Hebrew, you would see how a lot of things kind of like rhyme and how much more powerful if you knew that language language it would be. When you bring it over into English, it's a little bit more difficult. Uh, But I'm going to read it, and we're going to go back through it, and we're going to talk a little bit about what, we know what the meaning of worship is, and every time you see that word to worship in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it means to just bow yourself down, to humble yourself, to prostrate yourself before before God. And uh, it has to do with all of that. And our English word worship comes from Worship. Think of it that way. From old language, as languages, our English language is currently is constantly changing. But it has to do with showing worth and showing value. As you worship God, you are showing inside and out how you value God. Now, last week we talked about meaning of worship and where Jesus explained how that true worship happens. We have to worship in spirit and in truth. Right? It starts on the inside of you. It doesn't matter what you do on the outside. It starts on the inside. If it's not here first, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter what you do out, out here. But it starts on the inside. And it's got to be spirit-filled, spirit-directed. But it's all got to be based on God's truth. Okay? Not just what we think God's truth is, but what God's truth actually says. So it has to be based in that. But now we're going to talk about what does that contain. And so I'm just going to read a call to worship. How about that? And think about this. We're going back into the Old Testament. I mean, you realize in the Old Testament, we are under a different covenant. You do understand that. Things are not now like they were then. There are things, especially you get in, right, Sharon and Leviticus, and you're reading through some of that stuff. There's things that are not required in the ceremonial law for us now because Christ fulfilled them. Right? Not only the sacrifices and stuff, the animal sacrifices that were symbolic, but there's a whole lot of other stuff. So I'm glad we're living in the age of grace, and I'm glad we're in the new covenant that God has written in our hearts, and I'm glad we're living in a time where God has poured out His Spirit so the very presence of God can be in our hearts. They did not all have that. There were only certain people during the Old Testament that, had, that were filled with the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. So what I'm saying is this. You know what I'm saying you know where I'm going with this, is that, especially if you're born again already, and there may be some here that aren't, and uh, we like to have people that are coming in and finding and seeking God, but especially if you know the Lord and the presence of God, the Spirit of God inhabits you, we ought to be able to blow the Old Testament saints out of the water, you know, when it comes to worship. Do you think? But I don't know. If, I wish we had some clips. I wish we did. We'd probably just be like, what is wrong with us? Okay, all right, so we're going back in time, and this is in the Old Testament times. But listen to what he says. Are you ready? Verse 1, Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully. The old King James says, make a joyful noise. They don't even really know how to treat that word. And you're going to find out that this isn't even one of the the words that we've already studied. This word means to make an ear-splitting call. Uh, cry out. It says, let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. 
Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In His hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are His also. The sea is His, for He made it. And His hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness when your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts. And they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Did you know it starts out as a call to worship for people, but by the time you get to the end of the psalm, it's the Lord speaking. Isn't that powerful? It is so powerful. So um, I didn't advance this slide like I thought I did. Um, So there, we were there. And um, so here's what, uh, and I got to hear Dr. Lutzer speak one time. Uh, Pastor Moody Church in Chicago. And here's one thing he said that I thought was worth repeating. He said, if we haven't learned to be worshipers, it really doesn't matter how well we do anything else. Okay, we can have a whole lot of stuff going on. We got a lot of activities. We got a lot of projects, a lot of ministry projects, a lot of, a lot of things. But it doesn't really matter if we're not worshiping with a sincere heart because all the rest of it falls flat. A.W. Tozer once said, strange things are happening all around us in Christian circles because we are truly not worshipers. For instance, any untrained, unprepared, unspiritual, empty rattle trap of a person can start something, quote, religious and can find plenty of followers who will listen and promote it. Beyond that, it may become very evident that he or she never heard from God in the first place. Because we are not truly worshipers, we spend a lot of time in the churches just spinning our wheels, making a lot of noise, but not really getting anywhere. Then he goes on to say, I would rather worship God than any other thing I know of in this wide world. So I hope you have in the bulletin or picked up some the half-page notes that we have there, a few blanks to fill in and a few things to watch for here, and make your own notes on that. Would you do that? So I hope you picked up one of those out there. But you're going to notice that one of the things that, that we're focusing on here is the fact that our desire to worship ought to be stronger than what it is. I mean, listen to me. Our desire to worship our Creator ought to be as strong as our desire to eat. And that desire to eat's growing right now, especially when we know we got good stuff waiting on us, right? Uh, but we ought to have a desire like that, a hunger inside of us to worship God. Because you know why? We were created by Him. And did you know it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're even somebody that thinks they don't believe in God. You were created for the purpose of worshiping Him. Until you get to where you find that purpose, nothing else is going to click in your life. You were created to know God and to worship God. And if people don't worship Him, we were created to worship Him. But I found that when we don't worship Him, we worship something else. You know it? We do. We not realize it, but we do. So I want to take a look at some of the things that uh, in order that we might have a better understanding of how to worship God. And as we look at this, as we look at this passage, it, a lot of it comes out. So we'll just get a little taste of this today, all right? All right, so I want, I want to keep growing, Lord. Help me do that. Help me do that. So first thing that I see here is an invitation to worship. Did you see that? 
the invitation. He says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. He talks about let us come, let us bow, let us give thanks, let us worship. So here's the deal. God in his word is inviting us that we have a divine invitation. This isn't me inviting you to worship. It's not the worship team inviting you. It's not, it's, it is God himself inviting you. I want you to come. I want you to worship. And you know what? The only reason we can worship God at all is because he invites us and made it possible by sending Christ to die on the cross for our sins. That's the only reason why sinful people like us can worship a holy, perfect God. God himself took the initiative, went to a lot of trouble so that you and I could know him and worship him. Worship is always at God's invitation. So here's the thing. Here's the big question. God's inviting all of us to worship him. So the big question is, how will you respond Not to me, not to the music, not to any of the other surroundings. But how will you respond to God? This is personal. This is between you and God. How will you respond? Um, The response of those who claim to be his children is so important. Uh, Instead of a lot of times responding to God and who he is in worship, we just seem content to just... We're talking about God. We're talking about... The one who spoke the universe into existence out of nothing. That's what the Bible teaches. We're talking about our creator. We're talking about the one who holds all things in his hand. And the Bible teaches that God didn't just create things and back off and like winding up a watch and letting it run down. God is involved that he sustains. He's not only the creator, he's the sustainer. He's what holds every molecule, every atom together. You know, we've talked about that before. I'm no... I'm no, a lot of things. But anyway, I'm no molecular biologist or into all of the atomic sciences. But I've been on Google. No, I'm kidding. But, but no, I've studied. And you, you know, we've talked about that before. You see where you see a design, you see a designer. You look out and further solar systems we can find and you have the gravitational pull of a star and planets orbiting around it. You look at some of the smallest atoms and what do you have? You have a nucleus and it has what in it? We've done this before, I know. Protons and neutrons. Okay, protons have what kind of charge? Positive. Then you have electrons orbiting. You have the same design. You have the, the pull, the, the magnetic pull. You have the electrons, and they're negatively charged. So it pulls. So, you know, there's that pull. But now, things that are charged the same tend to do what You ever do that with the magnet and get the same poles? They try to push each other apart if they're the same. But with all of this, scientists still don't understand how you have all of these positively charged protons in the nucleus of an atom, and the atom doesn't fly apart. That somehow they don't. We don't understand. There are things about even the smallest atoms that we haven't seen and don't understand because Hebrews tells us that the things which are seen are made of things which are not seen. Right there, thousands of years ago. God's holding it together. And so this is the creator. And so too often, we just, we just are content to give God our leftovers. We just give our leftover time, our leftover energy, our leftover resources. Kind of reminds me of back in Malachi's day. Back in Malachi's day, they had this problem. And they were giving God their leftover worship. I mean, it's like if we haven't got anything else to do, and if everything, we just, we just kind of, you know, we just want it. And that's us in America, isn't it? It's not this way everywhere. You know, as we've been involved in mission trips around the world, we've seen it. I mean, we've got, we've got things that, that, 
mean, even the poorest among us would live like kings in some of these places. Um, but uh, we, we just, we get so spoiled. And um, we're, we're a lot like in Malachi chapter 1. Here's, listen to what he says. He says, you're giving God your leftovers. Um, in Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, in Malachi's last book of the Old Testament, right before you get to Matthew, he says, a son honors his father, a servant honors his master. And if God's saying, if I'm the father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my reverence, says the Lord of hosts. And to the priest who, in those, this is Old Testament, who despise my name. And they say, how have we done it? And then he goes on talking as, as he explains this, that, that um, they know how to honor their fathers and mothers, and they know how to honor their bosses and their rulers, but they've forgotten how to honor him. Our lack of worship, all listen, our lack of worship always results from our lack of understanding of who God really is. We just don't get it. Because if we really got it, we would want to worship Him. So he says, like, you know, you're, you're giving me your leftovers. You, you just think, man, this is weariness. And then the other thing is, is it that they were cheating God. Are we cheating God? God deserves so much more than we're giving Him. Are we cheating God? In fact, over in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, he tells him, he says, um, Will a man rob God? Yet yeah, you've robbed me. How was it? In their tithes, their offering, and their worship. God says, I deserve these things, and you're not coming through, so you're robbing me. You ever think of it that way? That's the way God expressed it to them. In fact, back over in chapter 1, he says, you offered defiled food on my altar. Remember, this is Old Testament type stuff. He says, and they say, in what way have we defiled you? And they, he said, you say in the table of the Lord's contemptible. And you, you, know, you offer the blind as a sacrifice. He says, isn't that evil when you offer the lame and the sick? Now, you remember a little bit about studying the Old Testament under that system, how that all of it represented Christ and his perfection. It was all painting a picture, and God's revelation has been progressive throughout the time when he said that the, in the Garden of Eden, the seed of the woman will come and crush the serpent's head, and that, that little bit. And then, you know, he told Abraham that through you, all nations of the world are going to be blessed. And, and then he began to reveal a little bit more and a little bit more, and through the law and everything, until finally, in the fullness of time came, Christ came. All right? So, um, but the thing is, under that Old Testament system, you understand that they were to bring, what, kind, what was the sacrifice supposed to be like? Perfect and without blemish. But yet, the Lord says, you're walking around and, you know, well, i got to take an offering, got to take an offering, man, i got to do this thing. And you find some cow that's got the pink eye. And you're like, hallelujah, I found my offering. You know, you got a sick one, you got a crippled one. And, and you know, one that's about to die, hallelujah, Lord, here it is, you know, and we take and we offer God that. Well, he asked the question in verse 8. He says, offer it to your governor and see if he'd be pleased with you. The thing about it is, is you're giving God less than you give people. You wouldn't give that to your boss. You wouldn't treat your boss as weird as your boss is. I don't, you wouldn't treat your boss like you're treating God. Give, give, give your boss that kind of effort and see what happens. And he really tries to bring it in perspective right there. It's kind of like the little boy that's mom sent him to Sunday school. This is a story from a long time ago. She, she gave him two quarters. And that was back, Daryl, like what you could buy like all kinds of stuff with a quarter, right? You could just buy all kinds of stuff. So two quarters. And the boy was skipping and running and on his way to church. And he tripped and he fell down. And he dropped his quarters. And one of them, you know how it just turned just right. And it rolled. And it went, dropped down the storm drain. He picked up the one quarter and put it in his pocket. And he looked up and he says, Sorry, Lord, I guess you lost your quarter. Because she said you could keep one. 
and you could give the other one in the offering. You can keep one, you can give one, and Lord, sorry, I guess I lost yours. And that's the way it is. Anything else comes up, you know, as long as there's nothing conflicts, you know, Lord, I'll give you something. But if there's anything else, then it's about me. And so that's part of the problem that they had, and it's part of the problem that we have today in our own lives. In our own lives. So when we get the focus straight and we really begin to see God by faith, then we must respond in worship. And we'll want to give of ourselves and, and, and realize that everything we have is His. We want to worship Him in our giving as well. When we really know Him, when we really begin to know Him, we're going to be consumed with a desire to want to honor Him with our lives and with everything within us and worship Him. And because we trust Him and we're walking by faith, we want to obey Him. You know? We're motivated by love. We're motivated by His grace, not just by guilt and duty. Something more powerful than that. Love and grace is most powerful. But, you know, the thing about it is we're probably, we're probably way too nonchalant about worship. I mean, we don't, we don't come into God's place of gathering. You know, of course, this is God's house, right? Physical body of believers, right? But we come together in His house of worship. We gather here to worship together. And even in the old days, the writer of Hebrews told those he was writing to to not neglect the gathering of themselves together like some people already having trouble getting together. You know what I'm saying? Way back there in the beginning. I mean, you got Paul and guys like that still going and preaching. It's like, oh, man, I don't think I can make it. And things like that. So, um, uh, he says, don't, don't neglect that because the, the, the thing about it is we're a family. We've got to come together. You know, and as we're together, we're committed together. We help each other through the rough spots. We celebrate through the high spots. And, and we all have different gifts and, and abilities that God has given us to do the work of the ministry. We commit and we put that together and serve Him. But you know what? A lot of times we just like, oh, that's just something I do. And I just kind of, like we say, check the box. I went there. I did that. Somehow we think just going to a building and enduring that sermon. That's got to be enough suffering, Lord. That it gets me something. It's not on a merit system. It's based on the blood of Jesus. Amen. So thing about it is a lot of times we come into the house of worship. We don't have any. We don't, we don't expend any effort of heart or mind to even engage God. Listen to God. Learn from God. Worship God. Praise God. Thank God. And a lot of times our attitude is plumb negative. But you know. Yet we have a big game. And see how we get. And I know it's not exactly the same. Because worship's a lot more important, right? So I, I tell you what, I, I want to be, I want to, you really know God, you're going to be more passionate about God and about worshiping Him and about knowing Him than we are about anything else. Even though it's okay to be excited, and we all show excitement in different ways, I know that. I mean, um, you know, it's like even speaking of a ball game, you know, I, I, it doesn't matter if I'm the only one in the house. I'm going to be yelling. I'm going to be hollering. I'm going to be trying to tell the coach or the manager what to do. I'm going to be, you know, trying to give encouragement to the officials as they make calls and things like that. I'm just, in fact, there are a lot of times my wife has to work out of town, and I hope you don't ever do this, any of you, but if you were to spy on me, you would think, Who's there? Because I just talk out loud. I have conversations with myself. I, watch, I love to watch ball games. and Man, I'll just get all into it like there's other people there. But that's just me. I'm, you may be totally different. You might just you know, be more reserved, more of an introvert like that. You know? But that's okay because we all express a little different. And that's why we're a family. right? We bring it all together. And I've been reminded more than once, boy, if everybody was like you, it would be a mess. So thank God, amen? Amen. But I'm glad that he loves me. Do you know what? If we were to carry that over, what if 
what if my attitude toward the Super Bowl, my attitude toward sports and basketball and baseball, what if my attitude was the same as it is a lot of people's attitude toward church? What if it was? Can I help you out with that? You remember when old what's-his-name used to do the top ten? I'm going to give you the top ten reasons why I'm done with all sports, why I'm never going back to a sporting event again. Are you ready? Number ten. I was taken to too many games and forced to go to games when I was a kid, so I'm never going back to another game. Does that sound familiar? Okay, number nine. You know what? I'm not going to any more games because there are too many hypocrites at those games. There was people there the last time I went, and I could tell they just came to talk to their friends, and they didn't pay attention to the game. Too many hypocrites. Not going back. Number eight. You know, I'm not going to the games because it seems like they always schedule games when I want to do other things. Right? Just not convenient. Number seven. I'm not going to games anymore because, you know what, every time I go, you know what, the band, the band plays songs that I don't know and they're not the style that I like and I can't stand that. I'm not going back. Number six, you know what? Last time I went to a game, it went into overtime, and I was at 45 minutes late getting home. I'm, I'm done. I'm not going back again. How about this? Number five, the referees make decisions that I just can't agree with, so I'm done. Quit. No more. Or here's one of my favorites. I'm done going to any games whatsoever because, you know what? I went to half of the home games last year. I went to half of them. I was there. And you know what? The coach never did even shake my hand. He didn't send me a card when I didn't show up. And and he never came to my house to visit me. So I'm through. Number three. I don't want to go anymore because, you know what? The seats, they're just not comfortable. They're too hard. and I just can't sit there and watch a game. Number two, I'm not going back because the people I sat to, they just didn't seem friendly. They just didn't seem friendly at all. So guess what? I'm done with it. And the number one reason why I'm done with sports, football, basketball, baseball, whatever else, is because every stinking time I go to a game, they ask for money. I'm done. Oh, man, yeah. So it sounds a little ridiculous when you put it that way, you know. But those are all different plays off of different excuses why people won't come to worship God, come to church, right? Yeah, so sometimes we need to put things in perspective. Gordon Dahl once said, most middle mass... uh, Hold on, let me back up. Gordon Dahl once said, most middle class Americans tend to worship their work, to work at their play, and play at their worship. As a result, their lifestyles resemble a cast of characters in search of a plot. We just don't find our purpose. So, all right, there's the invitation to worship. But now let's get back into this text and talk about the expression of worship that that he talks about here. We're not only invited to come and worship, but also to openly express that worship. So last time we pointed out how we're to worship in spirit and in truth. Like we said, it starts on the inside. So it doesn't matter what kind of commotion we make on the outside if it's not coming from the heart. But I want to tell you, if it's truly on the inside, it will express itself in some form on the outside. If it's really in here. I mean, if there's some fire burning on the inside, there will be some smoke coming out the chimney. There are a lot of ways to express worship. One was an invitation. Did you see that? 
back over in Psalm 95. Let us sing. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Did you see that? Singing is an expression. It's simply put. It's all right here in this psalm. It's, it's singing is simply putting the truth of God to music. God is the one who designed music, by the way. Um, uh, he created to be used in worship. And we're invited here in verse 1 to come and sing to the, word, to the Lord. Uh, and the word sing there is a Hebrew word. It comes from a Hebrew word that literally means to cry out for joy, to rejoice, to sing for joy. Oftentimes, if you do a search, that same Hebrew word is translated in our Bibles as rejoice. So when he's talking about singing, it indicates in a musical fashion, but it's talking about rejoicing. And that's what the invitation here is to do. Uh, Because the normal word for a song or a psalm is used later on in this passage. But here he's talking about we're inviting you to sing. In fact, in chapter 96, uh, Psalm 96, uh, verse 1, he uses the normal word for sing, meaning sing a song or a singer. Uh, Sing a new song to the Lord, he says. But notice who the audience is. Sing to who? To whom? The Lord. You're not singing to me. I'm not singing to you. We're singing to the Lord. Uh, because he is, why? Why sing to the Lord? Are you ready for this? you got to get it. This isn't in your notes. Look at this. Because why? He is the Lord. That's who he is. That's why I sing to him. And then we see he's also not only the Lord, but he's the rock of my salvation. Do you see that in verse 1? Verse 3, he is our great God, and he is the great king above all gods. In verses 4 and 5, we sing to him why? It points out that he made this world. He made it, and he holds it all in his hands. He is our maker and our God. That's who he is. That's why we want to sing to him. It's the Lord who wants to hear our voices. And if God doesn't hear you praise, if God doesn't hear you sing, then it doesn't matter who does. If he's not here, if you're not singing to him. So there's an invitation to sing. But did you notice there's also, let's get a little crazy here now. Let's not get weird. There's a difference between just getting a little crazy and getting weird. You know, some people get weird. They get like off track. But we're talking about uh, shouting, invitation to shout. That's right. You know, I have a tendency to believe that in the Old Testament, there's a lot more shouting that went on than what goes on among us sophisticated <laughs> Folks here, right? We're too refined. We're too, we're too spiritual. See, that's the balance, worship and spirit and truth. You know, some are just all spirit. Woo, they're just out there. They, they're not paying attention to truth. And then there's some that's just all truth. We're just so right that we have no emotion. Jesus. Amen. <laughs> so we got to have both of that. But verse 2 says we should make a joyful noise. Or shout joyfully as it is translated here. And you know, when Jenny was here and, and before when we went through a lot of those words, that the Hebrew words that are translated to praise and worship, this isn't one of any of those words. This is a totally different word. And this word means literally to raise a sound, to cry out. It was used to give a blast on an instrument that was ear splitting. It's that kind of shout. It is to shout, to raise a sound, to cry out. And that's what he's saying. And that's why even in the old days, he didn't quite know how to translate that. Just make a joyful noise or make it shout joyfully. It could be a trumpet blast. Uh, It was used of that often. And so that's the thing. And because our God is so great, we ought to shout for joy. It ought to hit us that deep. Too often, we're like the little boy that was praying by his bed. Lord, he prayed. 
Thank you so much for church today. It was wonderful. I wish you could have been there. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) I'm afraid that a lot of times, you see, God is everywhere. His presence is everywhere. But a lot of times we talk about God showing up. It's not really God who shows up, it's us. I mean, we don't have to conjure up God's presence because God is everywhere. What we've got to do is we've got to tune our hearts into the God who is present. See? But a lot of times we express that by saying God really showed up when really we just showed up for God. Uh, and, uh, but a lot of times that doesn't happen because we're not coming to our great God at His invitation. What we're doing is we're coming to do our religious thing, even in the name of Christ. We're not really focused on meeting with the one who is unlike any other, with our brothers and sisters, and the one who bids us come. We're just doing our thing. Sometimes your circumstances are bad. And you might say, well, my, you know what I've been through this week? I have nothing to shout about. I have nothing to rejoice about. Well, guess what? You can still shout joyfully and make a joyful noise because your God, you know, is bigger than any of your problems. Amen? <laughs> you can still shout about that. So there's an invitation to sing, invitation to shout. And we can spend a lot more time on those things. But there's an invitation to give thanks. Did you see that? He goes on to say how that let us thank him. Let us, verse 2, come before his presence with thanksgiving. Then again, let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. And that's the word for just songs and singing. And so an invitation to give thanks. We're to come before his presence with thanksgiving. And that's one of the Hebrew words that we have studied. Remember todah? And it is a word that literally means an extension of the hands. And to give thanks, to, re, to, to, to be appreciative, to give thanks for something, to recognize that. And so too often, we come before the Lord with ourselves in focus rather than God in focus. And we start begging God, and He tells us to bring our, our burdens to Him. But that's the main thing we focus on is I'm asking God to bail me out of the mess that I got myself into. Right, you know what I'm saying? But God, when He is the focus, we have to reflect on all the blessings we have because of Him. There's always something that we can be thankful for. And, you know, I was put to the test with this, this way. But it seemed like I woke up in the middle of the night, and it just seemed like the enemy. You ever have that happen? It just seemed like and it, just, it was just hard to describe the feeling that I had and, and some of the things. It was just a, a very oppressive thing. And it's like this is a full-on attack, and I'm getting ticked off because I need to get some sleep. Right, But this was thing, and, and a lot of troubling things just started coming out of nowhere in my heart and my mind. And, you know, once my pulse gets up and once a little bit of adrenaline kicks in, it's going to be two hours before I settle down. You know, I just know that. But you know what I did? It, and it hasn't always just worked exactly like this. But here's what I wanted to do. Here's the game plan. You got a game plan? I get this game plan from the Word of God, by the way, is that I started, instead of focusing on some of those, those things and those problems and the potential things that might happen with people and stuff, I just, you know, I give that to God. I acknowledge it. But then I started thanking God, thanking and, and searching my heart and my mind for things that are, that I just am taking for granted. And you know what? You know what? Sometimes I do that. I do that for a while. And then sometimes I may just get up and read a little bit. But you know what? That night, I don't know where or what item I was on, but I woke up morning time. It's like, it must have been the devil because he's like, oh man, this ain't working. He's thanking God for stuff. Back, put him to sleep. Quit bothering him. You know? So I found out if it is the devil keeping me awake and I start thanking and praising God that he's in like, oh, that wrong plan. See? But if I dwell on those things and, 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 and 
you know, let them fester in my heart and mind, things don't go so well. But giving thanks, and we all have so much we need to be thankful for, even if things are bad, and we need to focus on that. And if you're not thankful for the things you have, it just means one thing. You, it means a couple things, okay? I just added one in my mind <laughs> and not in my notes. It means, it means, first of all, you're not grateful. But secondly, it means that you think you actually deserve all that. I mean, why else would you not be thankful except you think you actually deserve what you have? But we realize we don't deserve it. It's a gift from God. And we want to thank Him and praise Him for it. So we have an invitation to sing, invitation to shout, invitation to give thanks. This is all involved in expressions of worship. And also, how about this one? There's times we may come before Him with rejoicing and thanksgiving and shouting. There may be times we come and just bow. Did you get that? Do you see it? Verse 6, O come, let us worship. That means to just prostrate yourself flat. It's, it's an expression of the heart, no, not so much of the body. But a lot of times you feel something. That's why we have this place of prayer here. That's why I always say with these steps, you can, you can stand. You can just lean across them. You can get however low you feel you need to get, whichever knot you need to kneel on, or you can get on the floor if you need to come pray. But, but that's what the word means. It means to bow before him completely, to worship. And the word bow actually comes from verse 6, the word... Um, where it talks about to bow down. It's a word to, to worship and bow down. All those mean to bow. And then kneel, it means to bow. In fact, that word kneel is the Hebrew word barak. Remember, we studied that one. It means to bow before him. So involvement is more than making joyful noise, more than just movement. Sometimes it's bowing before him and reverence him and honoring him. Remember, worship involves the expression of the whole range of emotions. Sometimes I see him as so high and lifted up, I just want to bow before him. Like Isaiah, when he saw God high and lifted up and he saw part of his glory, he just said, woe is me. Just want to bow before Him. You ever feel a sense of the holiness and the power of God to where you just want to get on your face? You know, it's written that D.L. Moody, who was not anything close to being toward a a Pentecostal end of anything, D.L. Moody writes an experience about in prayer and in private worship about the presence of God becoming so real and so powerful and so overwhelming that he was just down on his face and he said he lifted up his hand and said, Stop, God, if you come any closer, I'll die. It was that powerful, even emotionally, to him. And a lot of times when we feel God's presence, we just want to bow before him. So there's the whole range of things that he talks about here. Sometimes we see him high and lifted up, and it causes me to see how small that I am. And then it may result in thanksgiving because he loves me anyway. One man said, if you can leave church on Sunday morning with no feeling of discomfort or conviction or brokenness of challenge, then for you the hour of worship has not been as dangerous as it should have been. The ease with which we go on being Christian sentimentalist is one of our worst faults, end quote. And you know, I think that's true. A lot of what we call church and worship is really more sentimental than it is spiritual. You know, I've said I have to watch that in my own life about some songs that we sing because some of even, especially some of the older songs, mean a lot to me, not because they're such good songs. I would tell you that they are better, you know, but they're really not. It's just I remember sitting on my great-grandma's lap and hearing her sing it. I remember Meemaw playing it on the piano and my mom leading that song in the little country church where I grew up. 
And, and, and it's, it's if I'm not careful. Now, many of them are still great spiritual, but there's some of them that are more sentimental. than They, they mean a lot to me, but, but why they mean a lot to me might be more connected to that than it is to the Holy Spirit and Scripture. I have to watch it. You know what I'm saying? I have to watch it uh, because it happens. And that's one thing he's bringing out there. Well, we need to take God seriously and give him the honor and reverence that is due him. So the point of worship is not to make you feel good. It is to exalt and honor our almighty God. Okay? That's why it does affect our desire to want to do that. It affects the way we act. It affects the way we speak. It affects the way we dress. It affects all these things. Because we want to honor God. I'm doing this not because of you, but because I want to honor God. One of our biggest problems, as I said, is we don't take God seriously enough. Um, you know, if we did, it causes us to deal with some things that we're not dealing with. Also, an invitation that goes along with that is to be silent. And I, I want to look at Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 20 where he says the Lord is in his holy temple let all the earth be silent before him so there are times that we just need to be silent and listen we need to be silent one Frenchman once said that Americans have three idols size, noise, and speed you know what worship runs the opposite direction it does remind us of the greatness of God but also our smallness worship is being still sometimes and knowing God, waiting upon God. All right, I've got a couple more things, but they're going to go fast. Are you ready? If you see those in your notes, you're like, oh, man, he's still got a... No, this is going to go fast, just, just to help you out. In, um, in this passage, he says, in verse 7, he pleads, he says, not only that, talking about he's our God, we're, we're the sheep of his pasture, but then he says, today, if you'll hear his voice, listen, if you'll just hear him, he pleads for us to hear him. And as we study the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, we find that God's people would come together to, to worship. And, and, and usually what would happen, even in the Old Testament, at some point, Scripture was read and taught. And uh, we respond to his word. And so he's telling you, the heart of worship is, you've got to hear his voice. You've got to hear his word. We can't have anything if it's not based on God's truth. Instruction for worship has to come from his word. A vital component in worship is God's word. You cannot bypass it. You can't, you can't shortcut it, okay? And then response in worship. So how am I going to respond? He's looking. Did you know God wants a response out of you? And you're not supposed to respond just because responding to the preacher, but respond to God. And, you know, a lot of times I would never be able to see how that's happening in your life. That's between you and God. But sometimes there's outward response that goes with it too, right? Sometimes you need to come pray. Sometimes you need to come give thanks. Sometimes you need to publicly bow before him, I think, and so forth and so on. But, but a lot of times I can't see it. It's between you and God, but there is a response in your heart. And if there's a response on the outside and it's not real in the heart, it still ain't real. It's still not real. Yeah, sometimes I just got to use sloppy grammar because it just, I don't know, it just feels good. Okay, 
So don't be like the people. He goes into this warning. Don't be like the people. Do you see that? Like during the rebellion and the trial in the wilderness. He's talking about those 40 years. Remember when Israel came to the edge of the promised land and God's going to give them that and they saw giants in the land and walled cities and they, they, they wanted to kill Moses and go back to slavery in Egypt. And then God caused them to have to wander in that wilderness for 40 years. He said they rebelled. They wouldn't listen to my voice. Now, he said they saw all the great works that I did. They saw. These are the people. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being there and seeing the ten plagues? Can you imagine being one of those dudes that walked across the Red Sea when it parted and you're looking at a wall of water there and a water? I wonder if anybody reached their hand and said, hey, pull out a fish. I mean, that's just the way my mind works. But they, they did that. They saw God do that. And yet now they don't believe God enough to think he can give them the victory. Those same people. What about us? Said, don't be like them. You've seen God's power. You've felt God's presence and then you're not going to believe him? You're going to harden your heart? You need to pay attention. You need to listen today. And he said, they tried me. I was grieved with them. And, and, and I said, this is a people who just go astray in their hearts. Their hearts just want to wander from me. Don't be like that, folks. So i got to end this with a warning. Don't be like that. Because he tells us there that he swore they would never enter into his rest. And that's how it ends. God said, I'm angry and in my wrath. I said, you're not going to enter into my rest in that promised land. That was all figurative. But guess what? Guess what? The Bible doesn't end there because he tells us the writer of Hebrews brings this back. So there's a promise remains of entering into his rest. And he's just using the Greek word for rest there. So let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. He's using the same example the writer of Hebrews is. Don't harden your heart. For he goes on to say in verse 2 of Hebrews 4, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Talking about those people. They saw the power of God. They didn't hear the gospel quite like we did, but they heard the plan of God. The gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. Why didn't it? Not being mixed with faith. You've got to have faith. You've got to trust God. As we skip on through that, he talks about this rest. You know, and he even points out where God said, you know, on the seventh day God rested. And then we have the Ten Commandments, and we have one of those being, remember the Sabbath, remember the rest? Wait a minute, we're worshiping on the first day of the week here, aren't we? There still is a principle of a day of rest. And the evidence is the early Christians, by the end of the book of Acts, were meeting on the first day of the week instead of the last day. But here's the principle. The writer of Hebrews says there remains a rest. Now, if you're reading in the original text, he changes words there. He doesn't use the word rest. He uses the word Sabbath. So literally what he says is, and you're welcome to check me out on this. I hope you do. He says, there remains a Sabbath for the people of God, a Sabbath rest. For he who has entered into his rest, who's he talking about? He's talking about Christ, has himself ceased from his works as God did from his. Just like God finished creation and rested, Christ finished the work on the cross. And he sat down at the Father's right hand. So now you and I, we may set aside a day, but I want to tell you, the Sabbath principle takes on a whole new meaning. Don't miss it. It means this. You are keeping the Sabbath seven days a week as you rest by faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross for your salvation. You're not working to earn it or thinking you can deserve it. You're trusting totally in Jesus. And that's what he's saying. You've ceased from your works, just like, not that your good works aren't coming out of you, but you're not having to work to earn your salvation. Just like God, different as Christ did the work 
on the cross. That's what he means by that. So, to worship. This is in your notes, so I'm going to just kind of mention this. And um, it means to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God. My conscience is aware of God's perfection and holiness, and it makes it come alive. To feed the mind with the truth of God. To purge the imagination by the beauty of God. And my imagination sometimes needs to be purged, folks. Open my heart to the love of God, excuse me, and devote my will to the purpose of God. My whole being is devoted to the purpose. His purpose, not my purpose. Worship does not satisfy our hunger for God. It whets our appetite. Amen? Amen. Oh, come, let us worship Him. There remains a rest that we can enter into. The invitation's given. We've just got to say, yes, Lord. I trust you, and I come to you. So however you need to worship God right now, it's between you and God. Let's pray.